So if you're not in Exodus uh, 19, I encourage you to turn there. This is in the first half of the Christian Bible. So if you see Genesis, it's the next one over. Just keep turning right so you see Exodus uh, or scroll up or down. I don't know, however you do it. Get there. And uh, we're, we're going to be in Exodus 19. Um, a, a few things that have been fascinating to me, p- partly because some of the podcasts I listen to, but uh, is uh, something called machine learning or uh, AI. Has anyone heard of AI before? Okay, everyone has. Just wondering. Seeing what kind of participation I can get here, folks. Um, so I learned this week that in 2016, social me- the social media platform TikTok reached 100 million users in 14 months. ChatGPT reached 100 million users in two months. Uh, not to be outdone, that this is nothing compared to Pokemon Go that reached 100 million downloads in just 33 days. So, all of this according to, you guessed it, ChatGPT. ChatGPT told me all of this. AI told me this. So I'm, I'm not decrying AI, there's a use for AI. I'm not a, what they call a technological pessimist, I don't think, maybe I am. But I want to point out is that these tools are actually discipling us in certain ways. Uh, they, they disciple us. One way they disciple us is, is the way we view efficiency and magnitude. They, they can become our highest values. To put it another way, you are only a success if you do things fast and big, Right? Big and fast. Otherwise, you know, you're in the slow lane. Get out of my way. Sometimes God does things fast and big. Sometimes he works fast and big. You can see uh, in Genesis, he creates the world fast and big. Uh, in, in, at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, he creates the church fast and big. But most of the time, he works slowly and small. Over long periods of time, he does these great and wonderful things. And that's just what he's doing with his people, Israel. And one way to look at the book of Exodus is uh, three geographical places, Egypt, the wilderness, and Mount Sinai. We've seen them in Egypt. First 13, 14 chapters were in Egypt, and God did marvelous things, big and fast, and brought them out of Egypt. Even that was probably around 10 months or a year. But God did great things for them. And most of us, Theseus has the heart of the book. Uh, But then he brings them through the Red Sea, through the waters of judgment, onto the other side, into the wilderness, where where we see, where we uh, can see ourselves in the people of Israel, grumbling and complaining oftentimes uh, because God hasn't given us food or, or water or whatever we think we need. And now they've come up to Mount Sinai the foot of the mountain. This was God's promise in Exodus 3, 12. This will be a sign to you. You will come to this mountain. And here they are. And now from chapters 19 through 40, so we've had chapters 1 through 18, 19 through 40, they are gonna be at this mountain. The mountain of God. And one of the things that God is doing is giving them a sign of love. Exodus 19. On the third new, third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. 
They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. So God had rescued them with signs and wonders. He let them struggle in the wilderness. Then he brings them to the edge of the mountain and let them stay there for 11 months. Exodus 19 through 40, all of Leviticus, and all of and Numbers chapter 10. 11 months. I mean, this is a long portion of scripture. And if you're thinking of it like a movie, it's just like it slows down. It's like, in slow motion. And when things slow down in a movie, what, what, is, what is the creator, the director, trying to get you to do? Pay attention. Something important is happening here. And uh, all this time, so he can form his people into the people he wants them to be, so that he can, they can be a, a treasured possession, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. He wants to enter into a new relationship with them. Timing is important, friends. Up until this point, God has not really asked them to do anything but trust him. Up to this point, God has not given them laws to do. He's given them the day of atonement, but that was a matter of trust. Put the, kill the lamb and put the blood over the doorpost and trust me. Now he's asking them to enter into a covenant relationship with himself. And he's giving them some laws. He's preparing them for relational closeness, a, a return to something like the Garden of Eden. He's bringing them to this mountain uh, like Adam and Eve were in the garden. He wants to dwell with them. He wants them and us to see that his law is an expression of love. It's a sign of love. And he prepares his people Further, he prepares them, not only through the sign of love, bringing them to this mountain, but he prepares them by reminding them what he has done for them. So he not only gives them signs of love, he gives them a sign of love, he also gives them the words of love. Exodus 19.3. So while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell all the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel." So God tells Moses, his mediator, he calls him up the mountain and he says, here, here are the words that I want to give to my people and I want you to relay them back. God desires to be with his people and he plans to be with them. This is an amazing thing, friends. God is not like those of us who married up. You know what that means? Most, most guys married up, right? Right? Uh, when I married Bridget, people were like, wow. <laughs> how did you accomplish, like, how did you do that? Um, God is not like that. God didn't marry up when he's, when he's trying to get into a relationship with Israel. They weren't the largest or strongest nation. They were a, they were a group of nomads who wandering around the wilderness, uh, wandering, uh, wandering a, a, a around Abraham, just wandering from his home, and then, he, and then his people end up as slaves in Egypt. But God loved them. 
Deuteronomy 7 says, I loved you, not because you were great or strong, but because I loved you. He didn't love them even because they were oppressed. He loved them because he wanted to. He set his love on them. And he wants to enter a relationship with them. He, it's nothing in them, good or bad. It's, it's because he wants to love them. So he's forming this community through a law of love. And he's given them a sign, and now he gives them words. And again, the order is important here, friends. He reminds them of what he has done for them, what he did. He took care of them. They're enemies, they're enslavers. They, they, he rescued them out of enemy territory, behind enemy lines. He goes in and he, and he takes them out of Egypt. And the picture he gives, the poetic picture is that it was, a, it was on like eagle's wings, like a, like a mother eagle who takes her young out of flight above the fray and, and fast and, and with agility takes them out. That's the picture of, of God. He bears you up on eagle's wings. Now notice, he didn't give the law and then rescue them. He, Exodus 19 and 20, the placement is on, is on purpose. He doesn't give the law and then rescue them from Egypt. No, he rescues and redeems them, calls them his own, enter, has already entered into a covenant with them, and is now says, now I want you to enjoy this covenant, so I'm going to give you laws and rules. He has borne them up on eagles' wings. He has carried them out. And now he gives them commands, words of love. You know, a covenant is, is a bond or a promise that is, in the Bible, is in, in blood, sovereignly administered. God has entered into a covenant with Israel that is a promise of a, a king and a, a, a vassal. Uh, the king enters into a covenant and says, I will, I will do this as a part of, of the covenant, and you will do this as a part of the covenant. But God enters into the covenant and says, I will do this, and I will bring you into the covenant. Now, if you want to enjoy the covenant, in, in covenant enjoyment, uh, you are going to enter into it through obeying my laws. So God wants to dwell with his people. And the way, he, we, the way they will dwell together, God and his people, is by his word. God, he makes promises and, and keeps them. God makes his promises and keeps them. He gives them commands and then wants them to obey. Promise me that you will obey my commands. And God gives them a sign of love and the words of love. And he's asking them to enter and he's doing this. Uh, he, his words of love are, are, are reminders that, hey, based on what I've done for you, now I want you to obey me. I want you to love my law because I love you. These are signs of love and the words of love. And then he gives the vow of love, or the people give the vow of love back to him. In chapter 19, seven through nine. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So God says, Will you enter into a covenant relationship with me? And the people say, I do. We will. The people say, we, we will do it. 
You know, when Adam and Eve sinned against God by eating the fruit of the forbidden tree, they hid from the presence of the Lord, God, among the trees of the garden. They, they knew they couldn't dwell with him in the same way because they had disobeyed his command. And God had said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. This relationship is going to break, and you are on the course of death, and you are going to die. And now God is offering to his new people to dwell with him as sort of like a husband and wife, but like God was dwelling with Adam and Eve as they walked in the cool of the day in the garden, as they, as they mowed the grass and pruned the trees. God was there with them in, in love, communing with them, talking to them. But sin had broken that. And now in, in, in picture form, God is, God is showing them and us what it's like for him to restore the relationship. He's restoring all things. He's coming to them to speak with them with words of love and grace that they may believe God and God's mediator. So God, God loves his people in truth and righteousness. He, he loves them and knows that he is too holy for them to approach him. And so he, he tells them, he tells them, don't come and touch the mountain. So if they approach without the mediator, and if they touch the very mountain on which God makes his presence to dwell, then they will be destroyed. His love is a holy love. His love demands obedience and, and purity. Pure, it purifies sin. Friends, God is forming his community through gospel reminders. Gospel reminders. I bore you up on eagle's wings. I took you out of Egypt. I did everything necessary so that you could be safe. And now you're here at the mountain, and I'm giving you loving commands, loving words. He forms his community through gospel reminders and loving commands, but also through our vows of love to him. His law is an expression of his love for us, and our obeying his law is an expression of our love to him. It's not an earning of his love. It's not, a, it's not an earning of him redeeming us out of our sin. It's an expression of our love towards him. It's one thing that happens in baptism, is, is it's, it's, as you obey the Lord Jesus Christ, Follow him in, in getting baptized after you become, after you have been redeemed, ransomed, after you become converted. Once you follow him in baptism, you are expressing your love for him, knowing that he has loved you. Your, your baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't, it doesn't make you justified before God. It shows what God has done for you. And in loving obedience, you express your love back to him. My son, Orion, Lord willing, will be baptized next week. And I, I am so excited uh, uh, about that. And we've walked with him through, through many years, and, and he has talked to the elders and, and given his testimony. And one of the things he said in his testimony, I want to do this because I love Jesus. Uh, he loves me. He's done so much for me, and I want to love him back. I know it's Mother's Day, but if you can be there, man, it, it would really make me happy. 
This is, this is the, the words of, of love. We, we, we vow our love back to him, not because we first loved him, because he first loved us. But there's this holiness of love we see. In this, in this covenant, God, God loves them so much, he knows that in their present state and in, in their sin, if they come and touch the mountain without the meteor, they're gonna be consumed. So back to verse nine, he says, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set a limit for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And it's just a reminder that when we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, God, God put an angel with a, a sword of flaming fire. And if anyone tried to enter back in again, he, he, that person would have to die. But, but what didn't happen until now was that there was a mediator to go in between. God invited a certain mediator up to the mountain, and that mediator didn't die. Tells him, take care, unless you, if you come to the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether beast or man. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day, do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. They got a view of the holiness of God, the perfection of God, apart from sin. Friends, if we get a view of the holiness and perfection of God, we will, like Isaiah, fall down on our knees and say, I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a woman of unclean lips. Like Peter, you are too holy. Depart from me. When we get a view of who God really is and who we really are, we will tremble like the people of Israel. His law is holy and just and true. He is holy and just and true. That's why the concept of hell is such an important, not the concept, the reality of hell is such an important doctrine. In order for God to be fully just, he must punish sin perfectly, holy in a, in a perfect way. So if, if there was no hell, then there, there really would be no justice. The holiness of God is pouring forth out of that mountain as God dwells there and he's telling his people, I am holy and there's gonna, there's gonna be a cost if you're gonna be in my presence. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. 
Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, let the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to the mountain, to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So his ho- the holiness of, of God's love, of of this strange story of coming up and going down and coming up and going down, it, it probably means many things that we could get into at, at some other point, but I think the main point he's trying to get across to us is that God is holy, our sins deserve judgment, and you must have a mediator to come to God. Someone who can stand between you and God, them and God, so as not to be consumed by his holiness. They must obey his word or be consumed by him. And that day you eat of it, you will surely die. Coming into God's presence in an unworthy manner will bring death, it will bring judgment. Disobeying the words of the covenant will bring death and destruction. But obedience will bring enjoyment and relational bliss. The question we all should be asking is who can do this? Who can come into the presence of God? Only God's mediator. Only the one he has chosen to come up to the mountain and meet with him. Only the one who has perfectly obeyed. See, Moses, Moses actually wasn't that one. God allowed him to come, but it was only for a time, and Moses would, one day, he would die on, on, on a mountain. There would come one, years and years and years later, perfect in holiness. He was, he was baptized, and, and when, he, when that one was baptized, the, there came a cloud from heaven, a voice from heaven that, uh, that came down, and, and, and a dove rested on him, and that voice said, this is my beloved son, who I love. This is the son of my love. I, I'm pleased with him. This is the one I'm pleased with. That one lived a perfect life through, through 33 years of, of life on this earth. Earning righteousness, keeping the law perfectly in thought, word, and deed. That one went up on a mountain, was transfigured, and, and into bright, bright white holiness, and the glory cloud came down on that mountain when, where Peter, James, and John were, and he said the same thing. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. You, you might think, well, what happened to that one? What, what happened to him? He, did he become the king of the universe? He went to another hill called Mount Calvary. 
and he died in the place of sinners. Sinners like you and, and like me, sinners that are not allowed to come into the presence of God or touch the mountain, we will, if we do, we will, we will die. But Jesus, the Son of God, came and gave his life for us on Mount Calvary. And in that moment, God was not pleased with him in the same sense, but he poured out his wrath on him so he could become pleased with you. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that you might become the righteousness of God. It's not through obeying the law that we get God's favor. It is through the grace of God in Jesus Christ dying on Calvary's hill that gives us that grace. It's the great exchange. We get his righteousness, he gets our grace. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't die only, he rose from the dead and ascended to his father in, in a sign that his father accepted his sacrifice. Friends, the holy, holiness of God is a fearful and frightful thing. Until you realize in Jesus Christ, the holiness of God has come to make his presence dwell with you forever. And really, no matter where you are, some of you are gonna be here for a little while and then gone. Through Jesus Christ and his spirit, he will dwell with you. That holy God that's fearful and frightful becomes a God of love, a husband to you, a husband that will never fail. The holiness of his love reminds us that we need a mediator. We have that mediator in Jesus Christ. And, and now through that mediator, we can start to obey God, the law of his love. Now the 10 Commandments. Who here has heard of the 10 Commandments? Everybody, right? Same as AI, right? I've heard of the 10 Commandments. They're everywhere. Uh, we, all, we all know about the Ten Commandments, so you all know that I can't do justice to all Ten Commandments in the remaining four or five minutes that I have. But we're going to read through them, and we'll come back to them at a later date and, and dig into them. But he, here, here are the commandments. God is holy. We need a mediator. And through that mediator, we can have a covenant relationship with God. We won't die because he, he, he has gone up the mountain for us. Now, now he, he invites us into this covenant relationship. And he says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, 
The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, shall not covet your neighbor's house, shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Friends, this is God's law of love. In his law of love, he, 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 is, he is setting... He's setting the bounds of, of the relationship. And he is inviting these people to obey him in terms of their relationship to God and their relationship to society. There, there's basically two tablets here. The, second, the first tablet is a tablet that tells us how we must act towards God. The first tablet tells us our duty towards God. We must love him with our heart, soul, and mind. And the second tablet is to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus teaches us. These are, this is the law that, that God has given. And, and one commentator, Alec Mateer, puts it this way. He, you, can, you can see it, hopefully you can see it visually up there. Next slide. That the first tablet deals with uh, our relationship towards God's, our thoughts in commandments one and two. They have to deal with worship. This, this, is, uh, this is our relationship towards God. No other gods before me, and this is how you worship. You will not make images to worship me by because you, you, you can't worship me because, in that way because you don't see me. I'm a spirit. It's our thoughts. Our words, commandment three, don't take his name in vain. Don't use your words in, to take his name in vain. That's not just, just, not just saying the Lord's name in vain. That's saying you're, you believe in God and live in a way that's not like that. It's just your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. And then your deeds, words, and thoughts. So your thoughts, words, and deeds, commandment four is to rest. And then the, the second tablet is how we live in society, how we live in, in, in relationship to our neighbor, it goes deeds, words, thoughts. Commandments six through eight: Don't murder, don't commit adultery, and uh, well, <laughs> I, I messed up on this. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Uh, this, these are our deeds towards other people. If you love me, keep my commandments. Don't do these things. You might think that's a low bar, uh, but it's not actually a low bar. If you read the Heidelberg Catechism, towards the end, it, ex, it, ex, it expounds on uh, these commands in, in, um, in, ca- in question and answer form. And it, it tells us there's actually a positive result to this. There's a, there's a positive nature. It's not just don't murder, don't commit adultery, and don't, don't steal. Uh, it, there, there are positive ways that we fulfill these commandments to one another. So don't murder doesn't just mean uh, don't take, take a life, an innocent life. 
It also means providing a place where life thrives. Fathers, you should be, and husbands, you should be leading your families in such a way where life thrives there. I mean, Jesus even, even tells us about not committing adultery. He says, if you commit adultery, if you look on a woman to lust, you've already committed adultery in your mind. So, it, so it's, it's more than just not committing adultery. It's, it's living like a, a one-woman man or, a, or like a one-man woman uh, in, in your relationship. These are the deeds that he's called us to. He's, he's called us to live this way, to love our neighbor as ourselves so we might thrive in a, communi- in a community like he's created us to be. Command the, the words, do, do not lie, don't, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. It doesn't just mean you can't lie in court. It means you have to believe the best and build up your neighbor's reputation as best you can. Our thoughts, do, do not covet. Don't, don't, don't want things that aren't yours in a way that would cause harm to somebody else. Thoughts, words, deeds. This is how we relate to God's deeds, words, thoughts. This is how we relate to our neighbor as ourself. Am I missing any commands? Five, right. So five uh, is, is a bridge command between God and society. Commandment number five, verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. So typically, you know, a chiastic structure like this, you can ask me what that is later, um, typically focuses on the middle is the most important. But that, I don't think that's what this is doing. It's just, it's just showing you the parallelism of our relationship to God and to relationship to society. And, and the family, it, it doesn't mean that it's the most important part of these commands, but it does mean it's, a, it's sort of a hinge, it's a, it's a bridge between God and society. Family, or even church family, is, is a place where we, where we learn how to love God and love neighbor. And, and, and that's why we try to make a big deal about the commands of God, because they're good for us. Friends, it's, it's, it's something like a marriage, the, the, the covenant that God is asking us to come into is, is similar to a covenant of marriage. When you enter into a, a covenant of marriage, you typically take vows. I, I promise to, to, to love you, to, to honor, to cherish you, to in, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, till death do us part. God is, he's, Showing that in the covenant of marriage that we, in, we, we are entering into this marriage taking this promise. But as we obey the promises, as we, as we keep our word to the promises, enjoyment in the marriage comes through, through keeping those promises. Similar here with, with God's law. As we hear God's law and we promise to live God's law, the we are not saved through this, we are, not, we are not made righteous in God's sight through this, but we are enjoying the covenant of God through this. We're enjoying the relational closeness with God as he says, come to me and, 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 and obey my words that you may live. God forms his people by the promises, the promises he makes. We've seen that as he's, he's promised to deliver them out of 
Egypt, he did so. The cost of the death of the lamb. And he makes and keeps those promises. He makes the promises and he keeps the promises. But also, he gives us the laws of love so that we might enter into the relationship. Think of it like, um, think of it like our, our, our justification and sanctification. We're, we're justified by God's work alone. We're made righteous by God's work alone. And then he allows us to enter into that work of, of salvation, not justification, but he allows us to enter into that, that relationship and that commitment through how we obey his laws and his commands. Friends, he, he, is, he wants to form this community and you and the other communities that you will be a part of through his love, through his laws of love. So I want to encourage us not to take the laws, make them a burden for ourselves. Maybe you are, are tempted to take those laws and to obey them to show that you deserve the salvation. Don't do that. There's only one mediator that can do that. That's Jesus Christ. Maybe you're tempted to, to shirk all those laws off and say, they just don't matter. Who cares? I'll live whatever way I want. That, that also is, uh, is hurtful for, for yourself and for your relationship, for, for people around you. These thoughts, words, and deeds, and deeds, words, and thought invite you into this relationship with God that he's, he's forming his community through love. And he does it through these beautiful and good laws that reveal his character. I want to encourage you to, to think about these laws not as a burden, not as a burden to, to bend you low and not as a burden to be, to be, to be, to be shaken off, but uh, as a way to show your love for God and how he has rescued you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take the weakness of, of this sermon and use it for your glory to shape your people. Um, we pray that as we, through your spirit, live out your law, that you would be glorified and that you would do good to us, we pray. And as we enter in a time of confession, we pray that you'd be with us in Jesus' name, amen.